Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Turn with me to Judges chapter 4. I'm going to read a couple verses starting with verse 22. It's good to be in his house today. Verse 22 says, the Bible says, And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out of, and to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came unto her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and a nail was in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Today, you may be seated today. Today, as we talk about... God will bring victory, even if he has to choose a new deliverer. In the new series of this month, we were starting as, each month we start a new series. The series is, is as Brother Tobe has already said, it says, God, our judge and, and king. We walk, we're going to walk through the book of Judges to see how God used judges and prophets to lead and to speak to his people. We will study today as we're going to study the, the life of, of Deborah. We're going to study the life of Gideon, Samson, and finally Samuel and Saul. There's several, you know, so that throughout the weeks, we, each week, we're going to study a different prophet or a different judge, the way God used to judge the children of Israel. No matter how little or how much we feel we have to offer God, He is able to use us for His glory. You know, sometimes, you know, we feel like, you know, there's, we don't, as Brother Toby was talking about our calling. Sometimes in life, you know, we, we may not feel like we have that much to offer because we're too young or, or we're too old or, or you know, we, we may not be able to be a good speaker or we may, may not be this or that. We may feel like there's, we don't have much to offer God. But as Toby said, if you'll start serving people, God will show you where your calling is. God will show that he can use you to help do, do his will if you would just be willing to, to apply yourself and be willing to do, do things in life. In the early 1900s, the leaders of the newborn aviation industry were all men. The, they was Wilbur and Oliver Wright, the Wright brothers, Charles Lindbergh. They were the big names of the, the new industry of flying airplanes. But Amelia Earnhardt changed all of that. During World War I, Amelia served as the Red Cross nurse's aide in Ontario, Canada. During that time, she watched pilots of the Royal Fleet fly, fly training missions in the local airfield near her where she was based. That exposure to flying may be what birthed the love for aviation in her life. But after the war, she returned to the United States and enrolled in, the, in Columbia University in New York 
as a pre-med student, but she never lost her love for, for the flight. She took her first airplane ride in California in 1920 with the, then a famed World War, War, World War I pilot named Frank Hawks and was forever hooked on flying. The next month, Amelia started flying lessons with a female instructor named Nita Snooks. And she helped to pay for her lessons by working as a filing clerk in Los Angeles. She saved up enough money to eventually purchase her first airplane that she nicknamed the Canary. Earnhardt passed her flight test and, and earned a National Aeronautics Association license in December of the same year. But today, there was a, she was the first woman pilot to, in the countries all around the world. Although men mainly flew at this time, no one could question Amelia's expertise or her experience in the cockpit. She was a female hero. So we look at her life, you know, we talk about this flight as, as Deborah as a, as a pilot. We see her life and we, we, we refer it to today as I'm going to refer it a little bit to Deborah, the story we're going to talk about a little, just a little bit. Her, in her life, here, here, Amelia was a pilot, and I'm kind of bringing this a little bit kind of a, a far stretch here. But in Amelia's life, she was, a, she was in, in a field where she was not, she was out of her comfort zone. She was in a field where she was not, not, probably not welcomed because, I mean, this was a man's world. And here, Deborah, now she is a judge and she is a, she's a prophet. And so sometimes, you know, in her world, in the days she lived in, she, here she found herself, finding herself kind of like Amelia. So today I want to refer to this Amelia. As she, she, she did great things. And we know her as the, some of the records that she, she set, some of the things that she did. She flew across the Atlantic Ocean. She was the first female pilot to fly across the ocean. And she did some great things because she didn't give up. She had, she had the courage to step forward and go forward into, into life. And, and she had, she had the, the courage to, to step out when no one else wanted her to. And so sometimes in life, you know, we are called as, as, as in life, you know, we got to step out of our own comfort zone. And into things in life where we don't realize what is going on in life. And what, what, what is God directing us to? And so we find ourselves just like her and Deborah, Deborah Ford. Stepping out and doing things that we didn't realize. God, God's calling is, is if individualized. It is for each one of us. It's different for me. It's different for you. God desires to be in a covenant relationship with his people that we don't realize. And however, God revealed his prevailing mercy through his continual love for his people that moved to respond to his repentance and bring deliverance into his oppression. Some have heard God speak in dreams, while others have seen him in visions. Today, was, with the story we read about is Barak. He received God's calling through the prophecy of Deborah, a judge and a prophetess in Israel. She sent Barak a direct message as a commandment from God. She said, in Judges 4 and 6, she says, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor and take the 10,000 men of the children of Napatai and the children of Zibium. And I will draw unto thee the river of Cation, Caesarea, the captain of Jabin's army, with the chariots and his multitude. And I will deliver him into thy hand. In a tremendous time of, of the judges, Israel's 
Israel's repented failure to follow the Lord lead, led to impressions by their neighbors. When Israel repented and cried out to God for God's deliverance, he often brought supernatural restoration. But their gradual backsliding led to their repentance of the apostasy, which is spiritual adultery. You know, today, you know, we find ourselves kind of as a church, we kind of find ourselves sometimes not that far away from what the children here in Judges, was. God was dealing with the same type of people. Because we're all humanity. We all have that sinful nature. And so in life, if we're not careful, even the church, sometimes we find ourselves just like the people that here in the book of Judges talk, God was talking to. We find ourselves, God, we're repenting and getting close to God and getting on fire with God. And then before we know it, we're kind of drifting away and allowing other things to take our place. But every time, you know, we, we, they, the people in the Judges repented, God turned an ear to that. God regained, always regained and allowed their adversaries when they, when they would fall and they would fall away from God, he would allow their adversaries to bring judgment that they may correct their sinful behaviors. Sometimes when we go through things, and I'm just talking about myself today, there's times in my life when I've been down some roads and when I was drifting away from God, I feel like God allowed some obstacles to get in my way to correct my path. Because there's been times in my life if, if I hadn't, some things hadn't happened, to get me back on the right road, no telling where I would have wound up. And so sometimes in life, you know, that's what God, he puts things in our life and he gives us that little nudge. Sometimes it's a nudge to draw us back closer. Sometimes it's a nudge to, to knock us around and get us back in the right direction. But God, God uses, uses the people and sometimes he uses people today to direct us and get us back straight. God used leaders called judges to lead Israel to victory and to back to a relationship with God. Throughout the book of Judges, this repetitional cycle of rebellion, then repression, then repentance, and then restoration continued throughout the book of Judges. Each time these tribes of Israel sank lower and into, into more immortality and became more depraved in their conduct like pagan people that lived around them. That's just like today. I feel like the church, sometimes if we're not careful, even the church can drift a little bit further away. As, 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 as saints of God, individually, and I'm not here talking about one individual person or trying to poke towards anybody, but as a, as, a, as a sinful nature that's inside of us, we have a tendency every time that we, we, we rebel or we slip away from God and we drift a little bit further away from God, every time we drift just a little bit further. And that's how it happens in life. You know, we find ourselves in life going through life, but every time that seemed like every time in my life as a young person growing up, every time I drifted away or got away from God, I went a little bit further every time. I went a little bit further every time. And that's how sometimes in life, and that's how the, in the book of Judges, we find the people drifting a little bit further, a little bit further deeper into sin. We're okay just this far this time, and then we, we repent and we come back to God. And then the next time we go a little bit further, and so after a while, we get so far away that we don't even realize where, where ground central is, where, 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 the, where, the, the line, where, 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 where we need to be at and with God. We find ourselves trying to find our way back, and every time, if we're not careful, that line keeps being moved. So we must try to instill in our life that we've got to have true relationship with God. God's desire is to have a covenant relationship with us. 
and his people. But if we're not careful, we don't realize what he really wants to do in our life. However, God revealed his prevailing mercy through his continual love for his people. And, he, and that love moved him to respond to their repentance and bring deliverance from their oppression. Sometimes, you know, we look at look throughout the Bible and we read the stories of how people, how they, they turned to the pagan gods and how they, how they kept drifting away from him every time. Even the children of Israel, when they, were, when they were in the wilderness, how they would, one minute they were, he was pouring out man on the ground and the next minute they were complaining about why he wasn't doing this or why he wasn't doing that. And we say, how is these ungrateful people? But we can put ourselves right there with them. Because God pours out blessings on our lives every day and if we're not careful, we're complaining about why it's not this or why we're not this way or why we're not doing this in life. And so it's so easy to, but we ask, why, why does God keep, why does he keep going back? And why does he keep going back to them and picking them back up? And why does he keep, after they complain so much, why did he still do this for them? And why was he still, why does he do that for me when we, in life, when I've, Turn my back on him so many times. Why is every time when I turn back, he's just right there to pick me back up? It's because he loves us that much. Among the northern tribes, King Jabin served as God's judgment when Deborah became the judge of Ephraim. The commander of Jabin's army, Caesarea, had been Jabin's strongman for two decades and had gained an infamous, infamous reputation for cruelty. After 20 years of intense oppression, Israel again cried out in repentance and pleaded for deliverance. God heard their prayers and initiated his plan for their victory. While God prompted the call and commanded to Barak to take action, he also stirred Sisera to deploy his host of troops and, of, and chariots to prepare for battle. You know, sometimes in life when God, you know, he, he makes a plan for us. In life, so many times, you know, we also, you know, we feel like things get that much worse. Yeah, God is doing things for us, you know, and we, we feel like God is moving for us, and He's moving for us to, to, to create that, or recorrect that relationship. But also, sometimes it seems like the enemy gets that much stronger. That because God is intensifying that just that much more, and and that's what happened here in the in the in the in the book of Judges when Deborah spoke the prophetic word to God's calling to Barak. She also prophesied the victory that would result from this battle. In Judges 4 and 7, he says, I will deliver him, talking about Caesarea, into thy hand. Here, Deborah prophesied, told him what to do, but she prophesied what would happen, that, this, that he would deliver him into his hands. God declares victory. When God declares victory, there's no need to be in doubt or no need to have despair. Because when God says you're going to win the battle. We may not see how we're going to win this battle. We may not going to see how this is going to happen. But when God promises you something, it is going to come to place. It doesn't matter what happens in life or what you have to face. The conclusion has already been determined. And it's already been determined in your life. So it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. It is going to happen. God knows every detail of your situation. He knows every detail of your calling or your, our responsibilities. And he, he, and he also knows the ultimate, he knows the outcome of how we are going to respond. He knows the path we will take and he knows the pitfalls and the struggles that we will encounter in that journey. God called Barak to lead the military effort against Jabin's army. 
despite the assurance of success, Barak resisted God's calling and shared his protest with Deborah. Barak was reluctant to accept the leadership role to which he was to have been called. He even refused to go to battle unless Deborah agreed to go with him. Some skeptics have accused Barak of being a coward for being dependent on Deborah to accompany him in battle. However, Barak was clearly a competent leader because, because if we, he, after she agreed to go with him, he was able to round up a bunch of troops. I mean, you know, he, was not just, he was not just a leader that was coward sitting back. He was a, he was a war, man of war, but he was facing an unwinnable battle by what we could see. Deborah agreed to accompany Barak, but she warned him that the honor of that victory would, not be, it would be given to a woman. It was typically to see men in military and in leadership positions, but it was noteworthy to see Deborah as a judge and a prophetess in Israel. She emerged as a heroine who brought an end to the cruel oppression of the King Jabin's army commander. But when God gives us his word and confirms his calling, our response should be, in, by, be faith and courage rather than doubt and intimacy. In humility, we may, ne- we may never feel adequate for the task that we're called to do. We may never feel like we uh, have the abilities to do that. We may, not feel, we may feel ill-equipped or underqualified for the responsibilities that we feel like God is giving us. But, but here's a say, God doesn't always call the qualified. But God always qualifies the called. So you may not be qualified when he calls you to do this job. But if he calls you to do something, he will qualify you to do that. You may feel like you are mean inadequate to share God's word. I may mess up and not even know what, where, to, where to even start out in the Bible to share the plan of salvation. Or I may not know what to do or how to, how to sit down and do a Bible study. But if God calls you to witness to someone, if God calls you to share God's word with you, I'm here today to tell you, I, I can promise you today, God will put the words here to come out here. Even if you don't remember, you can't even remember ever memorizing the scriptures. I've had scriptures that come to my mind and I've repeated them to someone because God give me what he needs me to have. He gives you the words to speak. He gives you the words to share. You just got to be a willing vessel to be used. He will never task us with an impossible calling. But he will always enable us to achieve our goals. And he gives us the accomplishment to, to accomplish his call. Paul wrote in Romans 11 and 22, he says, For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God does not make mistakes. If he calls you to do something... He will equip you. He has never called someone and then changed his mind about what he called that person to do. If he's ever called you to, to witness or if he called you to preach or if he called you to do whatever, sing a special, he's not going to change his mind about that. The psalmist David wrote in Psalms 103 and 13, he says, as a father pitteth his children, so the Lord pitteth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are dust. You know, God knows us. He knows us inside and out. And he's not going to call us to something that we're not, a, that we're, we're not can do. If he calls you to something, 
He is there to equip you. He's there. He knows, he knows you can do that. You know, here Moses, you know, came up with the excuses why he couldn't lead the people out. He said, I can't speak well. He, and, and, he, and, and he probably had a good reason to say that. But always, God always knows what's inside of us. If you had told me years ago that I would stand behind a pulpit with a microphone or, or if I would stand in a prison and minister to men in prison, I'd have told you you was crazy. I can't do that. Walk in and talk to people that's, that's no, no telling what and stand in a prison, prison uh, middle of a prison with 40 guys as inmates that's been charged with all kind of things in life and stand there and minister to them and, and had guys that was there for multiple murder charges and, and, and been in my life, you know, just, just bawling on my shoulders. And I've seen that things in life and I'm like, you, you say that in my life and you say what I said, I, I can't do that. But God knew what was inside of me. God knew that he had what, the things that's inside of me that what he needed to bring out to minister. God knows our weaknesses and he knows our limitations. As our creator, he knows our abilities and our inabilities. God is with us as our qualifier and our enabler. God is never nervous about the outcome or worried about a surprise obstacles that we may face. You know, we may, we may be worried about what's going to happen. We may be worried about our iPad freezing up or our iPad going crazy in front of a church full of people. But it didn't surprise God. God knew that. God knew what he was doing in our life. He already has a solution. Draw courage from the promises of God's will. In Matthew 28 and 20, he says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Philippians 1 and 6 says, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Sometimes God chooses the most unlikely participants to work out his plan and most creative solutions to bring out the victory. Sometimes, you know, he, he uses the people that to witness or he uses the people that that's most unlikely that we would think would ever do this. Probably growing up around here, around this church, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, we know what, we look around and you say, well, this person's going to be a preacher, this person's going to be that as children growing up. We don't know what God has got for the store for our children. We don't know who, what next minister or what next evangelist or what next missionary that we may have sitting on the pews of our church and his children. So we, 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 sometimes God uses the most unlikely person yes, to do the most greatest things in his, job, his, his, his kingdom. God had a surprise ending for the commander of King Jabin's army. Caesarea never suspected that his death had been already predetermined before he even entered, entered the battle. As a moth drawn to a flame, Caesarea was irresistibly drawn into conflict out of the ignorant confidence that his forces and his chariots of iron could never be defeated. As agreed, Deborah accompanied Barak to, into battle, but Barak summoned 10,000 warriors from the native tribes of Napier and the neighboring tribes of Zedium. They gathered near Mount Tabor, and Caesarea rallied his forces and chariots to attack. Deborah assured Barak that his battle she predicted, and the, this was the battle that she predicted, and the outcome God had granted. 
She said in Judges 4 and 14, says, Up, this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thy hand. Is not the Lord gone before thee? The simple question, is not the Lord gone before thee? Gave Barak courage to prepare for battle. That looked, looked by the human eye as impossible. But you know, when we, we, we realize that, just like Barak realized, the Lord has already gone before you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we may look at this situation we're facing today, and we may look at that situation and say, there's no way. I, you know, the outcome that I see is there's no way that I can win this. I go, well, there's no way that I can get through this. But when we realize that the Lord has already gone before us, He has already paved a way. He's already been there and already been that through in our life. And that gives us the courage to get up and put another foot before the next one. There's no way that we could ever, he could ever overthrow this Canaanite forces by their own strength and with their limited weaponry. To move forward in faith, Barak needed Deborah's assurance of the Lord's promises. And I think that's why he brought Deborah along. It's because at the time when he would have turned back, he needed somebody there. He didn't need another warrior. He didn't need no one else there to, to, to hold a sling or hold a sword. To drive a set of a chariot. All he needed someone who would say, hey, remember. Remember, God is there. God is, God is on our side. God is already there ahead of us. He's already been there in battle. And so sometimes in life, you know, you may feel like you, you know, you're, you, 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 you don't know. You may feel like in your life or at your age or, or whatever, you may say, well, I, I can't do nothing like I used to do. Or I cannot do this today. But God may have you situated in someone's life. To be there when they're ready to turn back. They're ready to give up, throw in the towel, just to say, hey, remember, the Lord has already gone before us. The Lord has already paved our way. The Lord has already got made the promises in our life. And the Lord has already took care of everything for us. We just may need that word of insurance to go forward. When the Lord goes before us, we have no reason to fear. While the exact portrait of the battle was, is kind of blurry in Scripture, we do know that the Lord went before Barak and, before, and brought confusion and terror to this disoriented King Jabin's army. And it looked like the, they, were, they were fighting an invisible host. Their confusion frightened even the most well-trained warriors. Some scholars have suggested that the chariots weren't as effective in the mountains as they were on, on the level plains. And all that may be true, but the main thing is, is God was fighting for his, his, his army. God was fighting for his people. The enemy abandoned their horses and their chariots and fled for fear from Barak and his forces. Barak's army pursued and slew them with the sword. Victory was so complete that the Bible says in Judges 4 and 16, says all the hosts of Syria fell upon the edge of the sword and there was not a man left. That kind of pretty plain, pretty blunt how the outcome of the battle went. The Lord fought for Barak and Barak and his army and destroyed all the enemy. In the chaos, Caesarea abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. He was intent on escaping capture or even escaping death because he knew there would be no mercy for the man that had provoked so much cruelty, so much inflicted, so much pain on God's people. He knew there would be no mercy for him, so he fled, but he found it in the camp of Haber, 
the king and the Canaanite, whom the king Jabin had made an alliance with. Caesarea felt safe among the tribe and desperately needed rest and refreshment. There he met Haber's wife, Jael. She welcomed Caesarea into her tent to rest. And when he asked for water, she brought him milk. And the Bible says she gave Caesarea a blanket and promised to stand guard at the door. And Jael patiently waited while he, his exhaustion caught up with him and he fell asleep. And then she, then she slipped in slowly and raised a tent peg and a mallet and aimed it at his temple and drove the peg through his head and into the ground. And so Caesarea, never awakened from his sleep, this cruel oppressor died at the hands of a woman. This mighty warrior died at the hands of someone that, that he could have took out easily in battle. I mean, he had took out mighty warriors in battle. But because in his weariness, at the time in life, and as the prophetic word of Deborah said, that this, this, this woman would take care of this rural king. Although, although thoroughly routing the armies of Canaan, Barak turned his attention in bringing his commander to the army of to justice. Barak tracked the fleeing leader to the camp of the Canaanites. That is where Barak met Jael. She invited him to see where this evil ruler, Syria, lay dead in her tent. Through a heroic act, Jael became an honored champion of the story as she brought it in to Caesarea's cruel regime. King Jabin and his kingdom was destroyed, and God indeed gave Barak and his tribes of Israel deliverance from the oppression, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Deborah. And just as Deborah had prophesied, honor was given to a woman, J.L. for the victory of Caesarea. The graphic and sometimes disturbing experiences detailed through the book of Judges often seem so distant and irrelevant to our times. When we read these stories, just like the story I've been talking about today, and I've read this story about this, this woman driving a tent pet through this man's head and pinning him to the ground, and, you know, and, and we, we hear these, these graphic stories. However, Biblical accounts gives us an insight into God's involvement in our own lives. Paul wrote concerning the experiences of Israel in the wilderness. These things happen unto them. In 1 Corinthians, he says, these things happen unto them for example, in examples. And they are written for our moderation. While our battles are often more moral, moral and emotional or even spiritual, we can have the same confidence in God's ability to bring through us victorious deliverance. You know, we don't face battles as much as they did in the book of Judges, these cruel battles of, of blood and the blood and the guts. But the, the consequences are still the same. We still, it's still a life, and it's still life and death. It may be emotionally, it may be spiritually, but the, 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 the eternity is still the same. Jesus Christ fights our battles and he pushes back against every effort of the enemy that is willing to take us out. Our faith in, is in God and no power can resist him. No foe can, de no foe can defeat him. With the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, we are a powerful force for good. Answering the call of God becomes a natural response and all things become, come become possible through, him, through faith in him. Anybody ever heard the, 
this next question. How many times have I told you? Every parent has probably used this rhetorical question more than a few times. How many times have I told you? Sometimes it seems like children is just not listening. Or they forget. Or they're just testing the boundaries. How many times have I told you not to throw the ball in the house? Or how many times have I said that no cookies before dinner? Perhaps how many times have I told you not to ride your bike in the middle of the street? Perhaps this is the way God felt about Israel. How many times have I warned you against idolatry? Or cautioned them about participating in pagan practices at the high places? Or reminded them that the commandments are called, called them to repent, obedience. You know, sometimes in life we say, how many times has Israel resolved or said that they were going to do better? But I ask us today, how many times has God said that to us? How many times has He said this or that to us? How many times has He said, I've, I've picked you up again? Or how many times has He said, why are you going down this road again? Or why are you in this situation again? But just as a loving parent, God sought for those who would embrace His covenant and commit to His commandments. When they were, always when they would repent and throughout the Bible, God was right there to pick them back up. And today, I'm, telling you, I'm here today to tell you, how many times has, God, has He told us, I love you. And I will never leave, you, leave thee or forsake thee. You know, God is, that's why He does what He does for us. That's why He went to a cross for our sins is because He loves us so much. He has the, we have the assurance of His love and the promises of a victorious outcome. Today, God is wanting to call some people to Him, closer walk with Him. God is wanting to call us to, to, a, to our life and today. Today you may feel like you're overwhelmed or you may feel like you're inadequate. But I'm here today here to tell you in closing today. I ask you as we stand. I ask us today, if you feel like you're inadequate, if you feel like you have, don't have the abilities to do what God is calling you to do, I'm here today to tell somebody God has promised us that he would qualify us. He will be there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And the Bible says he will be there with us. Let us pray today. Lord, I ask you to touch us. I ask you to anoint us today. Lord, I ask you, Lord Jesus, allow us. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.